0: Individualism and selfishness present a wholly parallel situation. Depression, as he has argued, stems partly from an overcommitment to the self and the undercommitment to the common good. This state of affairs is hazardous to our health and well-being, just as the lack of exercise and certain cholesterols are. The consequence of preoccupation with our own success and failures and lack of serious commitment to the commons is increased depressions, poor health, and lives without meaning. How do we, in our own self-interest, lessen our investment in ourselves and heighten our investment in the commons? The answer may be moral jogging. Powerful, powerful segment. This is coming from the book Learned Optimism. I am a huge fan of Martin Seligman. He also wrote the book Happiness Hypothesis. Big fan of both of these, and I was actually able to read this While I was in uh, Texas for a little break And I I updated all you guys on that break And I really, really enjoyed this book Along with um, Psycho-Cybernetics The Constellations of Philosophy And, uh, you know, I haven't been a huge fan of Tony Robbins Just because I haven't really read many of his books But his book, Awaken the Giant Within Is actually really, really good I read that leading up to the Texas trip And um, would like to actually finish that But he has a lot of great concepts You know, he... And it does relate to this book, Learned Optimism. Um, All those books I read, Psycho-Cybernetics is absolutely incredible. It's actually kind of known as the uh, Bible for, uh, you know, mindset, self-help type books. So this book, Learned Optimism, is, is fascinating because Martin Seligman really lays out the data and the science behind how we can truly change our mind and life. And really it comes down to how people perceive reality. And it's it's not just what, you know, you might see on the news or on YouTube or kind of what the the uh, modern gurus tell you where it's just like either hard work and hustle or straight meditation and affirmations and manifestations. No, 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 no. You wanna combine the Eastern and Western philosophies and what he really lays out in this book, Learned Optimism, is it's really our way of perceiving things. You know, some people perceive things starkly, um, unbiased. They just take them at face on value. Some people see, you know, only the darkness in things that's typically pessimism. And some people see only the light in things. And most people have a bit of optimism and a bit of pessimism, just like people aren't 100% extroverted or a hundred percent, um, introverted. There's still a little bit in each. So it's, it's not black and white at the end of the day. Nothing is really black and white. There is, um, Basically, differences in all of this. And, you know, this this thing that I, I let in with, it was very interesting, you know, the beginning part of this book is a lot of uh, research data, kind of tests you can do on yourself, and uh, kind of just new ways of looking at life. And he really lays out i think the best part of the book in the last section which is from pessimism to optimism and this is basically the optimistic life helping your child escape pessimism the optimistic organization and flexible optimism and i think out of all those flexible optimism is really the uh the main thing we're going to cover in today's in today's episode so as we were talking about in that intro segment he said you know Depression, as he has argued, stems partly from the overcommitment to the self and the undercommitment to the common good. Now, what does this mean? People are so self-focused, and I, I'm preaching to the choir. I realize that I do the same thing. I mean, it's impossible not to be. We're we're the only ones with a hundred percent of our DNA and genes. You know, even your parents, it's it's typically around fifty percent each. You know, some of it might be a bit swayed, but on average, that's what it is. So there's a great book, Richard Dawkins, A Selfish Gene. And what he lays out is, you know, if they don't, everybody is like at the end of the day, selfish based on themselves. You know, as much as people say that they care about you, nobody really cares about you as much as you do. So you need to keep this in mind. And this is kind of what he, what he lays out, you know, saying that a lot of depression today actually stems from people being so self-centered, so focused on the self, the quote unquote self, that, um, that we let go of this uh, greater good cause. And the people that do this, you know, the people that are around their family, around their community more, have much lower levels of depression. A, a good study on this is actually the um, depression in Amish communities. And the, it may sound controversial, but truly, Amish communities have a lot lower. I think it's about one third of the level of depression as we have in the modern world. And they have an integrated life, truly an integrated life. You know, the four pillars of life that I see, um, you know, health. Wealth, love, and happiness. The Amish integrate all of that. So, so you know, in the modern world, people live in big cities and they commute to work. So, they they basically are using linear reductionism, and and they don't have anything integrated. So, they see basically what this means. The opposite of integration is is reductionism. So, you know, seeing your work life separate from your love life, or your health life separate from your love life, or your health or your work life separate from your wealth life. You know, all these different things and then happiness. So the Amish have found a way to integrate all these things and the smartest people in the world can do this. Really what it comes down to is just having an element of each of these. So you're not just like, okay, from nine to five, I'm only going to be in work mode. And then one hour of my day, I'm only going to be in uh, health mode. And then the other hours of my day, I'm going to try and balance happiness and love. No, 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 no. You want to have that integrated throughout your day. And again, there are times for strict work, strict health, but these things can be integrated, especially if you're feeling levels of depression. And this is really what he lays out. And then, you know, he says, how do we in our own self-interest lessen the investment in ourselves and heighten the investment in the commons? The commons is basically the the common good. So your community. And the answer, he says, maybe moral jogging. And, and he lays out a very interesting thing with this. You know, one of the... Uh, the following principles, he he says that I actually really enjoyed was, you know, when asked by a homeless person for money. So in my town, you know, there's a lot, there's a decent amount of homeless people that are at, you know, busy traffic intersections on the side begging for money. And that, you know, they have signs and things of this nature. And it's, it's even larger in bigger cities. I don't live in that large of a city, but, uh, it's, it's very sad. And, you know, a lot of people just kind of pass by because there's been this big issue with, uh, you know, scams, as far as homeless people go, you know, they they live together and they can make a decent amount of money panhandling. And, you know, or some of them, you don't know what they're going to spend the money on. So I've always kind of resorted to uh, giving them food if I have food extra or if I've kind of planned ahead and have, you know, bars or things they can eat, because I know that will go to uh, a positive place, hopefully, in helping their health and their happiness. So what he says is when asked by a homeless person for money, talk to them. Judge as well as you can to see if he will use the money for non destructive purposes it 's even though it sounds basic, very very powerful and i I definitely will begin to implement this if you think he will give it to him. Give no less than five dollars. frequent areas where you will find beggars, talk to the homeless, and give money to the ones in true need. And he says spend three hours per week doing this, but, you know, step by step getting ahead. So just doing it once is a big step ahead. You know, a lot of, a lot of people just turn a blind eye and, um, you know, there, there's definitely lessons to be learned in talking to people about their lives and how they got to where they're at, you know, especially if they're homeless and on the side of the street begging for money. I mean, you know, we talked about it this morning, but learning through other people's trial and error can help you help them and can help you derive lessons. So, you know, if if you meet meet a homeless person on the side of the street and you gain, you know, you give them five dollars, but they they tell you about their life story or at least how they got in the current situation and you remember that for the rest of your life, that'll pay off tenfold. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You know, a lot of people go down these roads of destruction because they don't have perspective. So he, he kind of lays out this thing for uh, changing the balance. So. That is my diagnosis. The epidemic of depression stems from the much noted rise in individualism and the decline in the commitment of the common good, basically what we just talked about. So this rise in individualism is, you know, everybody on social media seeing their self in many different ways and kind of having this fake sense of self. And this means there are only two ways out. First, changing the balance of individualism and the commons. Second, exploiting the strengths of the maximal self. So you know, he said one of his anecdotes are the uh, is the moral jogging. So what he says is, although its defenses have been unknown and untapped um, until recently, the maximal self is not defenseless. It is self-improving, perhaps, through the very process of improvement. It can come to see that its inordinate preoccupation with itself, while gratifying in the short run, is bad for its well-being in the long run. Very interesting very, very interesting. So, um, you know, what he, what he goes on to say is among the choices of the maximal self might make the uh, paradoxical one selfishly, the tactic of self-improvement. It might actually choose to scale down its own importance in the knowledge that depression and meaninglessness follow from self-preoccupation. Very, very important. So making sure that you are part of your community. And, you know, he says, uh, This moral jogging. So this is what he's going to lay out. So perhaps we could retain our belief in the importance of the individual, but diminish our preoccupation with our own comfort and discomfort. You know, humans subconsciously always move towards pleasure and away from pain. And it's really when people become purely fixated on their own lives, selfishness kicks in. And, you know, they they become um, basically delusional about how the world actually works. You know, people that kind of are so caught up in their own selves, they don't have a perspective on things. So this would allow for room of a new attachment to larger things. Even if we want it, a commitment to the commons is not going to spring up overnight in the culture as individualistic as our own. There is still too much self. A new tactic is in order. Consider jogging. Many of us now choose to jog. We slog along in all sorts of weather, waking up at ungodly hours to do so. The activity in itself gives much most of us little or no pressure. It is sometimes annoying and not infrequently painful. We do it because it appeals to our long-term self-interest. We believe that the long-run... Um, In the long run, we will be better off, that we will live longer and healthier lives and be more attractive if we engage in the daily flagellination. A little daily self-denial is exchanged for the um, long-term self-enhancement. Once we became convinced that the lack of exercise would be likely to cost our health or well-being, the alternative of jogging became attractive. So, you know, the, the sacrifice involved in giving others and spending serious time, money and effort, enhancing the common good does not come naturally to the present generation. Look at the number one. Look out for number one. Looking out for number one is what seems to come natural these days. Sorry about that. A generation ago, it was rest and feasting that come naturally. The ideal Sunday, yet we have become convinced it is the opposite. Exercising and dieting, big changes, and then they are at least then are at least possible. So, you know, exercising morally is really what this comes down to in uh, moral jogging. So, he he laid out that principle with talking to the homeless people. You know, he also uh, talked about you know when you read heroic and particularly um, despicable acts. Write letters, fan letters um, to people who could use your praise and mending letters to people or organizations you detest. Also give up some activity which you do regularly for your own pleasure. For example, eating out once a week, watching a rented movie, Tuesday nights, hunting on fall weekends, playing video games, rather spend this time um in an activity devoted to the well-being of others or of the community at large. Helping at soup kitchen, visiting AIDS patients, cleaning up at a public park. Very powerful things you can do to exercise moral jogging. Teach your children how to give things away. Have them set aside one fourth of their allowance to give um away. They should discover a needy person or project to give the money to personally. And then, you know, one other thing he says, and this is, you know, some people do it, some people don't, but put aside 5% of last year's taxable income to give away, not to charities like United Way, but uh, which do the work for you. You must uh, give the money away yourself personally among potential recipients in the charitable field you are interested in. So, you know, a way of th- this has much more of a deeper linked um, to the self and it will actually help you uh, truly come out of depression. You know, there's been studies on this. Giving to charity really pays back. And of the-, the men who do this, especially in large companies, just see exponential returns because of the impact on the subconscious. And when you can do this, not just handing money to a charity where you don't necessarily know exactly where it's going, but rather knowing exactly where your money is going and uh, giving it away in a more uh, conscious manner. So, you know, he talks about the, um, let's see, I think it's like the waning self and the waxing, um, what is it? It's like the waning self and the waxing um, community. And I really liked that chapter. And it's it's basically how to escape from pessimism and, you know, the optimistic life. So, um, you know, something that is very interesting is most people have this dualism where they they break things up and they um, see things in two different ways. But understanding, you know, these uh, different ways of handling your thoughts, handling your emotions and beliefs is really what he lays out in the ABCs, which are kind of tangible takeaways. So Basically, he says uh, ABCs is basically um, when you encounter adversity. So it starts with A, which stands for adversities. When you encounter adversities, examine your beliefs and then examine the consequences. So, you know, for example, if someone zips into a parking space that you had an eye on, what do you think? What you think is typically what you believe. And an interesting quote I'll I'll, uh, wrap this up with is, you know, it's not necessarily what is true rather what you believe to be true, because with work that will become true. That's really what this learned optimism comes down to. Because, you know, if you just take things for face value at all time, life will be pretty dull. But if you can see the upside, if you can learn optimism by changing your beliefs, and then understanding the consequences, you will understand, you know, the consequences can be positive. So for example, in that, in that situation, so like, Someone zips into the parking space you had your eye on and you think blank. You think, God damn it, I was going to take that spot. What are the consequences? You probably would get angry, roll down your window and shout at the other driver. Another example is you yell at your children for not doing their homework. And you think, you know, I'm a lousy parent. And you feel or do like a lousy parent. And that's the consequences. Rather, if you can switch your beliefs around, you know, even if there is adversity, realizing that these ABCs, switching your beliefs around, will change these consequences and actually turn them into convictions. So, really highly recommend you picking up this book, Learned Optimism. Lots of great lessons, and uh, even if you just go to this last chapter, you know he he lays out a lot of studies in the beginning. You know if you're interested in that, I read a decent amount of it, but uh, the main takeaways are in the, actually in the end of the book. So, Learned Optimism: How to Change Your Mind in Your Life, Martin E. Seligman. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. Thanks for listening and until next time.